Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We're back with another great show today, but today we've got a shorter episode for you guys. Wanted to get this out earlier in the week. Normally, as you guys know, we drop episodes on Thursday, but with the holiday, we figured it'd be best to get one out in time for you guys to listen before all of us just get too busy with family, food, and football. I mean, let's face it, none of us are going to be listening to podcasts on Thursday. I get it. So we're trying to get this one out for you guys. But like I said, a little bit of a condensed episode today. Back to regular episodes next week. So today, we'll recap NFL Week 11, and we're going to preview the three Thanksgiving Day NFL games with betting picks for each one. And joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? What's going on? You guys are probably getting that defrosting your chicken, your turkey or whatever, getting ready for Thursday, all the vittles that everybody's going to have. But yeah, short week, good games, great past week. Can't wait to get to it. Alex, before we jump into the games, we got some stuff to cover today, obviously, but Thanksgiving, a holiday that revolves around great food, family, and of course, football on TV all day long. It's, it's maybe the best day of the year. I mean, seriously, how great is Thanksgiving? But first off, what's your ideal Thanksgiving? What does it look like for you? And what are those must-have dishes at your Thanksgiving? Must-have macaroni and cheese. I need dressing. I need gravy. I'm not a pork eater, so we usually do turkey ham, if anything, but... It's the sides for me, collard greens. It's the whole sides thing is the thing for me. I have a turkey breast that I'm going to grill. That's been our thing over the last few years. I'm actually going to go get another one tomorrow. And so I'm going to grill two turkey breasts and then have some sides and then we're going to be good to go. But that's my main, the sides are what make the meal. Okay. Who's the one seed of sides? Oh, macaroni and cheese for me, without a doubt. Mm. And maybe that's because I don't eat it. I, I rarely eat it. I maybe only have it maybe four to five times a year with most of them being on a holiday, but I rarely eat it. So it's number one for me. Yeah, you got to have some solid mac and cheese, man. No doubt about it. I'm a big mashed potatoes and gravy guy as a side. Love the mac and cheese. What about stuffing? Yay, nay. What do you think? Yeah, I'm good with the stuffing. I mean, we can we can have it, but it's not a it's not a real go to for me. But I will have it if I get to my third plate, <laughs> not the first two. <laughs> yeah, maybe by that time that Niners Seahawks game kicks off, you you have a little stuffing or something. Now yeah. grilling the turkey, I'm with you there, Alex. I smoke my turkey. Absolutely love the smoked turkey. Been doing that the last couple of years. Total game changer. I don't think I'm ever going back to the oven. Absolutely. And when I say grill, I mean, I, I was meaning that I'll smoke it. I'm just putting it on the grill is what I mean. But yeah, definitely smoking it about 45 minutes each side, depending on how big your turkey is and depending on if you know your degrees. Most people you, you use the uh, big green egg. I don't know what type of grill you have, but I I'm, I have a um, I have a charbroil. So I just put it, you know, put the grill, put the uh, coal on one side, put the meat on the other side and just smoke it out, you know, for a good 45 minutes each side. And I'm usually ready to go. 
Yeah, I am a big green egg guy for sure. I also have a pellet grill. I, I'm kind of a I'm I'm a big grill guy. You know, we talk off the air. I'm a big grill guy. Love that stuff, man. Excited for some food and football. But Alex, let's jump into these games. Week eleven. We had some good games. We had a lot of interesting storylines, a lot to get to here, and not a lot of time to do it. I want to start here, though. Let's start Chargers-Packers, Alex, because this was another game where, once again, the opposing offense had one of its best outings against the Chargers. This is just an ongoing story here. It seems like every week. And this week, it's Jordan Love, who really has struggled most of the year, had his best game of his career against this defense, it, like I said, it's just ever since Daly took over as this coach, nothing changes. This team continues to underachieve. And I'd say right now they're underachieving at a really high level because this team should be way better than they are. Alex, I don't know if you saw, but he got testy with a reporter after this game. And you can tell right now that Brandon Staley is starting to feel the heat. Chargers safety, Aloha Gilman, I believe I said his name right here, said to the media after the game, quote, we just fed up and something's got to change. Now, to be fair to Staley in the defense, Austin Eckler had a fumble inside the Packers five-yard five line. Donald Parham had an ugly drop on a fourth down. Keenan Allen had three dropped passes, two in the red zone. One was a drop touchdown. And Quentin Johnston dropped a pass on a second down with 23 seconds left that would have put the Chargers in field goal range. So that was huge. Just just give me your thoughts here. This this story just doesn't change with this team. I, we've been beating up on Brandon Staley all year long, but I, I think we've been right week in and week out. This is just a total mess. They need to blow this thing up right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's just talk about the two plays that you mentioned. As I'm looking at the ESPN box score, they're actually showing the repeat. Quentin Johnson would have scored on that play. So that's, to, and from my perspective, that's two drop touchdown passes, one by Keenan Allen, one by Quentin Johnson. Now, Keenan Allen dropping a pass, that's an anomaly. That's not normally going to happen. Quentin Johnson, as a rookie, there's a trend that's starting here, and it's a trend that you can't catch the ball. I mean, first off, you're a one-trick pony and just a nine-route guy to begin with. You're stiff in the hips, so nobody should have you ever have you as a dance partner. But you, the one thing that you can do, you seemingly can't do, which is once you beat your opponent, is catch the ball. So now let's just talk about this. Is really just about Brandon Staley. We could just we don't need. I don't even need to talk about the Green Bay Packers too much. But Brandon Staley, this team, I believe you've lost this team. I believe they no longer believe, and it showed as you said now. And he, I don't believe for one second he's just now feeling the heat. I think this heat has been on for a while, and he's just starting to break under the heat of what happened in that. And the, pre and the presser after the game was over because there's no way they should have lost this game. Green Bay has been reeling. Jordan Love has been up and down. He hasn't been consistent. I mean, they haven't had a running game between A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones got hurt again in this game. So without that, you still could not will this team to a win. And that's a sign. I don't think that this team has an identity. And, well, I should say they do, but I think it's really just – Justin Herbert, go out and hopefully you can win it for us. And that's not a true identity. That's just what you're doing. So I don't think this team has an identity and they need a coach that comes in there that really sets the tone. Wink, wink, Mike Vrabel. But yeah, it's definitely time to rip off the bandaid and move on from this. Ooh, I like that. Mike Vrabel. Boy, that's a name to circle. Good call there, Alex. You're right. And, and on a side note here, 
some other coaches who I think seats got really hot this weekend. Add Ron Rivera and Frank Reich to that list of coaches who I think are not going to be back next season. So there's going to be it happens every year. We know it. These you know the coaching carousel, right? We're going to see some of these coaches. There's going to be some shakeup here, and it's it's for sure starting to happen already. We're starting to kind of see a glimpse of what's going to happen with some of these teams really falling out of contention. For three and a half quarters, the Chicago Bears played almost perfect football. But everything, unfortunately for this franchise and this team, it just seems like when everything's looking good, it fell apart in the last four minutes of this game. The Bears picked off Jared Goff three times in this game, and I think they had at least two others that I counted that were dropped I mean, they could have had five, maybe six interceptions this game. I don't know what was going on with Jared Goff. He had a terrible game, but he came up big when it mattered. In the fourth quarter, the Bears' defense got torched for 144 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they had this game, what felt like wrapped up at one point. Justin Fields, it's really a shame because Justin Fields played maybe his best game of the year. I mean, he really had a great game. He looked really sharp out there. But Goff and the Lions, they just made the plays down the stretch to pull out a close win in a divisional game. This is what good teams do. Even when they aren't playing their best, they find ways to win. Yeah, and now just go on the Bears side really quick because I know Justin Fields is pressing because he feels he needs to make a statement because they're going to be in position to take either Drake May or Caleb Williams. But you're absolutely right about what the Lions are. We just focus on them for a minute. I was down on Dan Campbell. I still a little bit am to see what's going to go on because I don't believe Ben Johnson will be there next year. So this is going to get very interesting. I think he's really putting his best foot forward to make a case for him to be a head coach next year. I still do have a question about the Lions running game. I just, you know, David Montgomery and then Jameer Gibbs. I thought Jameer Gibbs had kind of made a statement game while he had the ability, to, the chance to start in those two games while Montgomery was out. But it's still like they're going back to Montgomery. So I think they're still going something on there with Jameer Gibbs on why he's not starting. But looking good. Jamison Williams looking like he wants to play on this team. So I have to give them a lot of credit in terms of him finding his way. He seems not to make a lot of big, a lot of plays during the games when I watch him, but he always comes up with at least one. So it's not multiple. It's, it's one play, and it's usually a big play. It's not just like maybe one catch for eight yards. It's usually like a touchdown catch or some 20-plus yard receive, uh, catch that he has that kind of puts them in position to help them score again. But I think this is a game, to your point, that shows resiliency, that they can fight it through, even though it was the Bears, but fight through, come back, and win the game. Yeah, and obviously they're one of the teams that always plays on Thanksgiving, so we'll talk a little bit more about them here in a minute, preview the game they've got coming up. But we got some more games to jump to here, Alex. For the second straight week, C.J. Stroud turned the ball over three times, and for the second straight week, the Texans end up winning anyway. Now, Stroud was still pretty impressive, don't get me wrong. He still made a lot of big-time throws, but he did have some rookie throws in this game into coverage, tried to force a few balls, got him into trouble, and it really kept the Cardinals alive. But their offense just couldn't come up with any clutch plays. The Texans' defense had three fourth-down stops in the second half. That was really the difference in this game. Yeah, you know, C.J. Stroud, once again, still 
put up big numbers, 336 yards, two TDs, three three interceptions. But I have to, once again, another strong game by Devin Singletary, 112 yards on 5.1 average and a touch as well. That's going to be very important as they move forward. And if Damian Pierce or when Damian Pierce comes back to add him into the frame, maybe you put him in a backup role as opposed to the lead back role to complement. I think that puts this team, makes this team more formidable as they matriculate forward and try and make go down the stretch. And we already talked about it last week, how much lighter their schedule is than most of the other contenders in the AFC. On the other side of this, we have to give some credit to Jonathan Gittins, the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. This team at two and nine is still fighting. And this is not a good team in terms of talent wise. They do not have a lot of guys that you would have on your fantasy fantasy team for the most part on offense or defense, especially if Colin Murray wasn't, wasn't playing, but what they're doing, how they're hanging in there, how they're still playing hard. They're now in week 11. Usually this is when teams start to tail off, but they are still pushing. When you see things like that, Brad, when you look at teams that are fighting and have strong finishes towards the end, what does that mean? Going into next year, they're a team that you might have to watch out for because they're ending and they're showing you the fortitude that they're going to play every single game, no matter what their record is, all the way through. So I do want to give them, even in a losing effort, I do want to give some a lot of credit to the Arizona Cardinals. They are 0-6 away. They only have two wins, two wins coming at home. But against a formidable team in Houston, they hung in there. They had a chance to win, couldn't pull it out. But still, that fortitude in Week 11 – and Kyler Murray has been pretty solid. And maybe that time off having to sit and watch, maybe we're going to maybe perhaps start to see a different Kyler Murray. Only time will tell. Gannon, the point you made about him, absolutely spot on because he is doing a great job with this team because week in and week out, they're competitive. They play hard. They hang around a lot of games that on paper you wouldn't expect them to. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that, especially with a talent deficit like they have in Arizona. But I want to switch back to the Texans real quick here, though. Do the Houston Texans make the playoffs in a deep AFC? I think that'll be a great Twitter Twitter poll question. But my answer is going to be yes on that. I spoke about their schedule going forward. They have the easiest road. There's a four-game stretch, I noted before, where the Jaguars can maybe falter and the Texans can move ahead. This upcoming week at Houston is Jacksonville. So they'll get to face off. And if they win, they're tied. With the Texans only having to face the Jets who are on a downward spiral, Tennessee, Cleveland, Tennessee, and the Colts, they don't look like they're going to have, they're really only going to be maybe perhaps facing really one to two tough teams down the stretch for the rest of the season. I think they're in prime position to not only make the players, but to win that division. Two weeks in a row, Alex, you prompted a live Twitter poll question i just put it out there guys pgf nation at pgf podcast on twitter go ahead hit us up with the poll question are the texans going to make the playoffs underdog fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports i personally love the pick'em game just pick between two and five players to build a pick'em entry. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Download the Underdog Fantasy app and sign up today with promo code PGF. That's promo code 
PGF to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. The official ticketing app of Pint Glass Football is now SeatGeek. I can't recommend them enough, guys. I've been using SeatGeek for years. You want to go to a game this season? SeatGeek is here to take the confusion out of buying tickets, making sure you get the best seats at the best prices. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to worry about overpaying for tickets again. How? They put a 0 to 10 score on each ticket, so you know you're getting a good deal. But here's the real game changer. You can get $20 off your first ticket purchase with the code PGFPOD. That's right, $20 off with code PGFPOD. This season, make every game day epic with SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app and remember to enter the code PGFPOD to grab your $20 discount. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in. The category winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone. Plus, five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Steelers, Alex, the offense struggles again, week in and week out. We see it from that side of the ball. We're starting to see the frustration boiling up in that locker room from the offense. Najee Harris said to the media, quote, there's just a lot of stuff that just goes around that you guys don't see. He said, I guess I'm trying to say it's just that I'm just at a point where I'm just tired of this shit. Harris had 12 carries for only 35 yards. Now, Jalen Warren, the other running back, of course, in Pittsburgh, had 129 yards on nine carries. They've made Jalen Warren the starter. I'm sure that's got to be part of the frustration here. 
but they are just struggling to move the ball. It's been that way all year. Kenny Pickett was garbage. They can't do anything in the passing game. And we, we've talked about Pickett probably more than we even should. The, the guy, he's not the future of this team. And it's going to be really interesting to see if Pittsburgh has the guts to move off of this guy, even though they have a winning record. Now, Warren was really the only player making anything happen on that offense, and somehow he only gets nine carries. That was a little bit head-scratching to me. Alex, this is the worst 6-4 and four team I've ever seen. I don't know how they're winning games. Let me take that back. I know how they're winning games. Mike Tomlin. It's really that simple because there's no other ex- explanation for this. They're not a great defensive team. Yes, they take the ball away, but statistically they aren't great. Offensively, they're putrid. Yet somehow they're winning games, but they didn't win this one because Kenny Pickett got outplayed by a rookie in Dorian Thompson-Robinson who made some huge throws on that final drive to set up the game-winning field goal. Look, this is a guy who had a really nice preseason in that role, but we know preseason is a lot different than the regular season. I don't really know what to expect from this guy the you know, the rest of the year, he's got a good cast around him as far as playmakers in that defense. Maybe if he doesn't turn the ball over, they can stay competitive. Burrow out for the season now. Watson out for the season. Pickett just isn't good enough. I think the Ravens are going to pull away in this division. That team looks like one of the best teams in the AFC right now. Just to go on this game for a moment. I mean, Kenny Pickett, small hands, whatever you want to call him. I mean, I think we've talked about him enough, I'm sure. Even prior to me even coming on to the show with Brad, I'm pretty sure he was much down on Pickett as I was throughout the draft process. So there's that. Something needs to happen. I mean, the players love and trust Mike Tomlin. If this was any other coach, there would be a mutiny to bench this kid. You can't be six and four looking towards the playoffs and have a player playing like this. You know, we just talked about quarterback changes around, but there's going to be one happening with the Jets as well because if you feel that you're a playoff team and you feel you're being held back by the quarterback, that defense and the, and the other players in that locker room are just going to feel frustrated. But you're absolutely right. It's Mike Tomlin holding everything together. But on the other side, we have to give Kevin Stefanski – a lot of credit because he's had to start three different starting quarterbacks several different times this year. And they've either won those games or at least been in those games. And we all remember PJ Walker beating the San Francisco 49ers, albeit that defense was tough. And there was a lot of things going on with that defense to help them win that. But it's the same thing here. Again, the defense holding up and just giving the offense, all they have to do is make small plays to make these things happen. Jerome for Kareem Hunt, you have this one-two running back approach that you can have as well that can help him out. They have Njoku, a really good tight end. They have a slot in Elijah Moore, and then they have a guy in Amari Cooper. So these, they have the pieces on offense to help DTR. And then we, so I think, you know, we talked about uh, some of the mid-year awards that we would give out. I think Kevin Stefanski, along with D'Amico Ryan's, has to be put into that coach of the year spotlight as well. You know what? We could even throw Mike Tomlin in there. What they're continuously having them to do and to be and still stay in contention does really credit the coach and how the coaching style and what they're doing to will this team, to these teams to win and have winning records throughout the season. I think it's safe to say at this point that Sean McVay simply has Pete Carroll's number. The Rams have now swept the Seahawks this year, and McVay is now 10-5 and versus Carroll. Geno Smith got hurt during this game, but he was able to return. Not sure if he's going to be able to play yet at the time of this recording on that Thanksgiving game. 
We'll talk more about that here in a moment. Both defenses in this game played well. Both quarterbacks were really getting smacked around in this one. The Rams made the plays down the stretch. They outscored Seattle 10-0 in the fourth. This was a huge loss for the Seahawks because the Niners are now back in first place in the West. It sets up that big Thanksgiving night game that we'll get to. But this is a big, big loss for the Seahawks. Yeah, absolutely. And though Gino did get hurt, he got back in the game and drove them down the field. I think it was like, what, maybe a 45-yard miss, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, to win this game. So he did drive them down the field and put them into position to win this game. And I'm not sure that the kicker just blew it. The other part is there, there seems to be something wrong with what we saw last year with the Seattle Seahawks offensive line and what's going on this year. I'm not sure, but I expected this team to come in and run the ball, just basically run the ball down everyone's throat. But with Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker, but I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the offensive line. I don't know if it's the running backs not seeing the holes well, but something is there is a disconnect going on with this running game. And I think that's where the breakdown is a lot with this team is that they're not running the ball the way they used to run the ball. Now, again, to your point, Sean McVay, yes, definitely looks like he has the I mean, this team, we did not expect this team to be this good, but here they are right in, 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 in form again to be competitive. Um, maybe some people may not want them to be competitive because they feel that they need to move on from Matthew Stafford, but here they are again. Puka Nakua, although, you know, C.J. Stroud is going to be the runaway offensive rookie of the year. Puka Nakua is probably going to break a record or two with his with his outstanding play. Cooper Cup did get hurt in this game. So sorry for my fantasy team once again. Uh, they picked up Royce Freeman, a running back off the scrap heap, 17 carries, 73 yards. He's just finding guys all over the place to help make this team formidable, keep them competitive, and to win. So another guy that he wouldn't get a nod for coach of the year, but the coaching job that he's doing after coming into going into the offseason where people are saying, well, is he going to quit? to now coming back and having this team competitive. Again, I didn't see this coming. I don't think a lot of us saw this coming, but a lot of credit deserves, needs to go to Sean McVay as well. Alex, the Broncos started 1-5 this year, lost by 50 to Miami, gave up 31 points to the Jets. Somehow they have clawed their way back to 500. Sean Payton has finally figured out what this roster does well, and he's leaning into their strengths. They're running the ball. The defense is playing way better in the last four weeks. The rush defense, I think, is a concern for this team, but they are taking some of that pressure off Russell Wilson and the offense. They weren't great. Only one of 11 on third down, 0 for 4 in the red zone. A lot of field goals, so still a lot of room to improve on that side of the ball. But going into their final drive, Russell Wilson came up clutch and gets the big W for the Broncos. This is a game I know we were texting back and forth, and I said, hey, I really want to say something about the Broncos. I, I have something that I want to talk about with the Broncos. And the main thing is, and I brought it up, I know there's been a lot of talk back and forth of when I said, is Sean Payne overrated? And I said that in the beginning of the season, before the season even started, and I said it for a reason. And through the first maybe five to six games, it was showing and it was glaring. But since he has changed his tune to the point that I raised maybe about two pods ago when I said the number one problem with this team is they are not running the ball. And on this winning, since they played Kansas City the first time, 
115 yards rushing, 145 yards rushing, 153 yards rushing, 122 yards rushing against 178 passing, 87, 194, and 82. That's the passing yards per game. And then 249 to 46 this game against Minnesota. They, they Minnesota was staunch against the, against the run. But you are now getting the balance that I was talking about, which made Russell Wilson successful while in Seattle giving him a balanced attack. Now, I will say there still seems to be a little bit of a disconnect as they go into for halftime adjustments. They're not as fluid and as strong coming out of the sec going into the second half as they are coming out of the first half. But as they still matriculate through the season, maybe that gets better as well. But I have to give credit where credit is due. I felt how I felt about Sean Payne. He did pivot, which is very hard for coaches to do. Wink, wink, Josh McDaniels. He pivoted off of that and started running the ball and balancing everything out. And now you're looking at Russ doing some of the things and being successful to what you saw in Seattle. You're now starting to see what you thought you were going to get when you brought him to Denver with this defense. So they are balancing out a little bit. I tell people all the time, when you look at their stats and all oh, their last year, their last year, no, that's because they got 70 points put on them. And that's why the defense looks as bad in terms of statistically, the defense looks as bad as it did, but it's not really as bad as it looks. It's just that 170 put 70 output game and the amount of yards that were put up. There were 726 total yards put up in that game. That's basically what I do in Madden on a day on a game to game basis. And that's not normal. So if you take that game out, this is probably a top 12, top 15 defense, and they're doing their job, and the offense is getting better. So Sean Payton deserves a lot of credit for pivoting off of his style and now coaching to the strength of the quarterback, and you're now seeing it. Uh, you're seeing the quarterback play better. I know nothing was better than what I saw against the Buffalo Bills, but again, you're absolutely right. That throw and the better catch by Cortland Sutton in this game was critical. And again, still want to give a lot of a shout out to Josh Dobbs. I mean, this guy is just out there. He's just leaving his heart on the field every game. 49ers sense their bye. They're healthy again. They've beaten the Jaguars and the Buccaneers by a combined 61-17. This team is rolling again. Brock Purdy pitched a perfect game, so to speak. Perfect passer rating, at least. Finished 21-25, 333 yards. Three touchdowns, no picks. I mean, he really was practically perfect in this game. He had six turnovers in that three-game losing streak against the Browns, Vikings, and Bengals. Purdy truly only struggled against Cleveland, though, in those games. Now, yeah, he had some timely picks that hurt him in those games, but Kyle Shanahan even said that Purdy was, quote, playing unbelievable during that streak when he watched the film and that there was no need to panic or make any major adjustments I think he might be right because they came out of this bye and they look like a different team now. He's first in the NFL in QBR, passer rating, yards per attempt, third in completion percentage, tied for fifth in touchdown passes, and sixth in yards per game. His five interceptions are tied for the second fewest among starters in the NFL. His quote-unquote bounce back the last two weeks has really silenced the doubters and it sets up a huge Thursday night game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a critical loss in this game because if there is one weakness on this defense, it is that back four. 
and to you lose young Palomalo, as I like to call him, but Hayufunga being out for the season with a torn ACL is going to be a real critical situation for them because we saw the last three weeks when they had to go against teams that had receivers and they could do something, do some damage. Uh, running routes they had some issues and now losing him who's an all pro player is going to be real critical as they go down the stretch and you're going to have to face possibly philly or dallas or even uh detroit as you try and get back to the super bowl yeah Alex, your point about hufunga is definitely spot on because you want to talk about a big time player that could be a big loss for them it's going to be interesting to see what they can do there on the back end and how much of an impact it's going to have on this defense but like I said, it is going to set up a huge game Thursday, the Thanksgiving Day game versus the Seahawks. This is probably the best game on the Thanksgiving Day slate. Let's start with this, Alex. Based on the way the past three weeks have gone for Seattle, I think it's suddenly become a really important game for the Seahawks team. Now, the 49ers open as a seven-point road favorite. This game is going to really depend a lot on Geno Smith's health we talked about that a little bit earlier because he got banged up in that L.A. game, was able to come back, made some big plays like you mentioned down the stretch. But if he's going to be able to play, if he's 100 percent, it's I doubt he's going to be 100 percent if he does play. So on a short week, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be a storyline to kind of watch here in the next couple of days. Kenneth Walker also got banged up in that game. So to a lesser degree, that could be problematic for the Seahawks. But a seven-point road favorite at one of the best home fields. I think Vegas is telling us something here. The Niners have dominated this matchup recently, winning all three matchups last season with a combined score of 89-43. to None of these games were even close. Seattle only has one real quality win this season over Detroit in Week 2, and the toughest part of their schedule starts with this game. When you look at Chase Young and that trade, it is starting to really pay off. He's had a sack in each of the last two games. These two teams feel like they're heading in opposite directions right now. I don't like what I've seen from the Seahawks team the last three weeks, and the Niners are back looking like they did to start the year. Even if Geno is playing, I'll take the Niners on the road, and I'm going to lay the seven points here, Alex. I just don't think the Seahawks have enough, especially with question marks at quarterback and running back, to be able to hang with them. If everybody was healthy on the Seahawks, I would actually take them in this game because they have exactly what I just alluded to a moment ago. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and Hayufunga out. They're going to stay with struggle against another team with another formidable quarterback. But because we don't know anything about Geno, I'm not a believer in Drew Locke. Kenneth Walker is hurt. I'm going to go with you, Brad. I'm also going to take the 49ers as well. Are you willing to lay the seven or do you think Seattle's able to cover in this one? I'm going to lay the seven because I'm going to assume that Drew Locke is playing and he's not good. So, yeah, I'm going to lay the seven. Lions, Packers, NFC North matchup. The Lions are one and two against teams with winning records, but they beat up on bad teams. They're seven and zero against sub 500 teams. That includes a 34 to 20 week four win over the Packers. The Lions are top five in rushing yards and passing yards per game. They're really moving the ball. We know that Detroit offensive line has been dominant. They have a balanced attack. The Lions defense has struggled against, I would say, average or even better offenses, but they do take advantage of bad offensive teams. The Packers offense has been below average all season. This young Packers team just 
isn't built to beat a team like this, at least not yet. And I think the Lions control the clock. I think they run the ball. I think Jared Goff bounces back big in this game with a big game and a big performance. Alex, I think this game could get ugly. Right now, the Lions are a seven-point favorite, and the over-under is 46. I'm going to take the Lions. I'm going to lay the seven points, and I'm going to take the under- Because even though I think the Lions are going to win comfortably, I think that running game for Detroit is going to shorten this game. I've got Lions 24, Packers 13. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to pick the the Lions on Thanksgiving. Even though I think the Packers, I think Jordan Love may have found something to build on, maybe close out strong. So I'm going to take the, like you said, I am going to take the under. However, I think I'm going to go a little bit closer. I'm going to take the Packers with the points, though. Dallas Cowboys, Washington Commanders. When the Dallas Cowboys win, they usually win big, and they've won six games by three scores or more this year. I think Dak is going to be able to move the ball against the Commanders secondary. Washington has the third-worst pass defense in the NFL this year. They've struggled in the secondary. The Cowboys' pass rush, I think, should have a big game versus this shaky Commanders offensive line. Sam Howell is coming off a three-interception game versus the New York Giants, whose defense was in the backfield the whole game. Kayvon Thibodeau had two sacks. Dexter Lawrence had a sack. The Giants had four sacks and six quarterback hits. They were getting tons of pressure on Sam Howell. Micah Parsons and company are going to be trouble for this Washington team. Sam Howell has been really pretty good this year. We talked about him a lot last week, but this is a tough matchup Alex if Washington is going to compete with Dallas in this game and the commanders I think are going to need a big bounce back game from Howell but I don't see it this is a bad matchup this is a talent mismatch as I like to say Cowboys don't beat good teams but they always beat the crap out of bad ones I'll take the Cowboys I'm going to lay the 11 points here I think this is a blowout and I'm going to take the over 47 points as far as the over-under is concerned. I've got Dallas 32, Washington 17. Yeah, I'm going to have to. With this one, I usually try to find the rainbow through the clouds, but this one, I just don't see it. Like you said, Sam Howell still leading the league in terms of the individual with the most being the most sacked this year, still leading the league in passing or maybe second in passing with 3,038 yards, 18 TDs, 12 interceptions. But you're right. That Dallas line, I mean, Michael Parsons and the company have to be licking their chops. I mean, the only way I could see Washington having any sort of chance with Leighton Van Der Esch out for the entire season, if the commanders want to run the ball and if they want to finally use Logan Thomas to exploit that, I can probably see some things happening. But not only is the front end going to have a field day, Deron Bland is really looking like a special player in that defensive backfield. Again, if I'm not mistaken, he's leading the league in interceptions and maybe even interceptions return for touchdowns again. So prop bet, Deron Bland gets an interception, not for a touchdown, but he gets an interception on Sam Howell, specifically Deron Bland. So that's my one prop bet pick. And if you happen to play to happen to play defenders in your game and you need a guy, Deron Bland is a guy that you need to pick up perhaps on a bye week. That's another guy I would start. But I don't see, even with the 10 and a half points, I can't, I can't do that. I think Sam Howell is going to give away 
one to two passes, and they're not going to run the ball. So it's going to be all on his arm. If you enjoy the podcast, guys, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, back to regular episodes next week, but have a great Thanksgiving, PGF Nation. Once again, I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.